0: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Let
1: me bring in Rick Zampern, who I believe is preparing himself, as he does before every Ticat game. He is immersing himself in Ticat frenzy. Is it a frenzy, Rick, at this point? Uh, it's more of a calisthenic uh, approach. <laughs> uh,
2: you know, loosen up uh, the old lumbar system and. Uh Yeah, just get the the, the cranium uh, loose for for what's in store later on tonight.
1: I'm impressed that you have a lumbar system. (laughs) (laughs) I only have a lumbar region, but you've got the whole system.
2: (laughs) Yes, well, it's, there's a little mouse there, a couple of wheels, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a chain that sometimes it comes off, and you know, and well, go to the chiropractor to get it fixed.
1: Before I forget, and we'll mention it again at the end, uh, sure. the Cats do play tonight. They're kicking off in half an hour or so. Following the game, so 10.30-ish, give or take, Rick will be in studio here, right here on 900CHML, hosting the fifth quarter. You will be able to call him and talk and give either your plaudits or your poops to the tie Cats for depending on how they do today. We've, you've heard plenty of both over the year, haven't you, Rick?
2: Yes, uh, certainly off uh, a bye week. Uh, it seems to be a common theme that uh, the tie Cats end up losing, and uh, you know, callers and, and fans are dismayed and disheveled and uh, disappointed. All the D-words are in there. Uh, and who knows, that might be the case tonight, but uh, you know, this is a game that features two offenses that can move the football, uh, one of them can score almost at will the other has uh, trouble uh, from time to time getting into the end zone but we can hash out all these uh, issues uh, in the next few minutes.
1: There's one other D word that fans are sometimes when they call in.
2: Uh, not not uh, not not too many not, drunk folks not, this not, year not too many I, <laughs> I've encountered maybe I can count probably on one hand this year where I kind of got an inclination that this, this individual might not be. Uh, all there.
1: That maybe they spent their evening with their friend Jack? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs>
1: Before we get to the tie cats in the game today, I want to get to some news that broke earlier today. And I've already said it. I am a huge fan, a huge proponent of what the CFL did today when they said, look, sports, football is supposed to be entertainment We're going to unshackle the players if they want to celebrate touchdowns and they want to go over the top, and if they even want to use props short of like a musket or something, uh, knock yourself out. We're all for it. Do what you want to do. Celebrate how you want to celebrate. No flags flying. What do you think about that?
2: I like it to a point, and that point is when you try uh, either uh, inadvertently or even by accident. When you try to show up the opponent or when you try to embarrass your opponent, I'll take exception to that. But if guys want to have fun, uh, you know, Duke Williams, uh, we've all seen the replays of him and, and a couple of teammates, uh, you know, crawling through the A-frame advertisement <laughs> after a touchdown. I, I love thought, that. I thought it was brilliant. It was yeah, hilarious. Stuff like that is great. But uh, stuff where, uh, you know, you're kind of uh, mocking or, or – uh, 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 you know, taunting an opponent, that I think is, and should be, a penalty. But guys just having fun, expressing themselves, uh hooping and hollering,
1: Uh I, th- I think it's good. See, I've seen some great ones over the years. You have too. You've been watching, you've watched way more football than I have. Uh, a few years ago, the Thai Cats celebrating on the fishing boat, I think it was in Winnipeg? In Winnipeg at Canada Stadium, yeah. That was, because completely spontaneous, yes. the boat was there, and they suddenly all jumped on the boat. Hilarious. I mean, it wasn't just fun, it was hilarious. And I'm all for that. Like, bring that one on. Uh, a few years before then, the Calgary Stampeders, now this one was rehearsed when they did the bobsleigh. Yes. I, I was fine with that. I was totally, not, not everyone loved that. I thought it was hilarious.
2: Yeah, even, even stuff that's choreographed. You know, the, the Red Blacks had one, I think it was a couple of seasons ago, where they did, like, uh, the, the limbo. Uh, you know, hoisting one player up uh, in a horizontal position, another one limboing underneath. I, you know, that stuff is just fun. I think fans get a kick out of it. I think if it is uh, you know short, uh, you know quick, uh, punchy, creative, all that kind of stuff, I, I think there's a place in the game for that. To penalize uh, a player or a team uh, for just celebrating, uh, you know, an accomplishment, uh, I, I think is uh, you know uh, kind of backwards thinking. I think in, in today's day and age, uh, and again, as long as you don't you know taunt an opponent or, or, or make them feel belittled. Uh, I think you you should be allowed to have some
1: fun. Yeah, and see, I, I the one area I disagree with you is I think there should be you should be in connection in simpatico with the music person in the stadium. The cheerleaders <laughs> should be involved. Fireworks. I mean, let's go completely bonkers here. Have planes flying overhead, and yeah, um, now there there is the other side. There's the Dave Stall side, which were I mean, if, people may remember Dave's touchdown celebrations for the Ticats, which were generally very clever, and yeah. I don't think I don't think that I recall any opponent ever got bent out of shape by what he did.
2: No, no, no. I mean, very few really opponents uh, kind of, uh, you know, relay their displeasure or anger towards a touchdown celebration. I think more often than not, you know, players will look at some of the more creative things and think, Hey, why did I think of that? Yep. Be, you know, hey, no, that, that's kind of fun. Let's get back at them and, and do our own celebration. I think there's, you know, competitiveness to it in terms of you know wanting to beat your opponent, but, uh, again, it's all about having fun. This is not the no-fun league in the NFL where you do get penalized for that kind of stuff, even though they've kind of you know, taken the shackles off their players to a degree. Uh, but I, th- I think the CFL is moving in the right direction in this regard.
1: Do you remember in the CFL examples where the touchdown celebrations really have rubbed it in? I mean, we can think in the NFL when Terrell Owens was playing for San Francisco and ran to the center to the star at Dallas Stadium, and did something disrespectful that's a different thing i can't remember a cfl scenario that has led to that kind of blowback
2: no i can't really pinpoint one either from an individual or even from a team i think guys have more often than not been respectful or, or they've just been so downright creative that the opponent just kind of tips their hat to say yeah that was that was pretty good Uh, But yeah, there's, there's been some in the NFL uh, Terrell Owens probably at the top of the heap in which he, you know, grabbed pom-poms or, you know, went to the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, center field and, uh, you know, put the the stamp of approval or his approval on, uh, you know, that star, you know, that, that is showing a little bit of a disrespect to, to your opponent. So, but yeah, in the CFL, I haven't, I haven't really seen it.
1: The only other one, and we'll we'll leave this one after this. I do remember in the NFL and I, uh, I can't remember if I was watching the game or just saw the highlight and it's from a long time ago, there was a team that was trailing by about 40 points late in the fourth quarter, and the team that was trailing scored a touchdown, and the guy who caught the pass or ran it in decided to do the worm all the way across the back of the end zone. (laughs) And it wasn't the other team that was upset. His own team wanted a flag thrown. They were so upset with him. You know, there's a different one, too. There's a time and a place.
2: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, and and I think... More often than not, we're seeing, you know, players, uh, you know, express themselves in, in, in due course, because if it is, you know, if the tie cat scored a touchdown in their sixty to one loss and made it sixty to eight and someone really celebrated, I would have thought, okay, what's this world coming to?
1: Kent Austin would have ripped that guy's <laughs> nostrils off his face.
2: Yes, he would have been a trans. he would have been on the transaction list uh,
1: before the you know, game was the done. Day. No, before the game was done. You would have had a special bulletin in the press box. So and so has been released before the exactly. game was over. All right, let us get to the this game today. They are playing the Edmonton Eskimos. And I think you and I may have talked before, I think it was week two when they played, and we said at that time the Hamilton Tie Cats are going to lose to Edmonton because Edmonton was ranked as, I think, at that time the top team in the league. Hamilton was still trying to figure it out. And, of course, as is the case in almost every single week, you and I chat and try and predict what's going to happen. They did the opposite. They went to Edmonton, and they kicked their butt all over the field, and they won. So, same thing today. Yeah, this one's this one's a, a tough one
2: too because you know the, the tie Cats coming off their bye week. Uh, I think I read the statistic or a multitude of statistics earlier on. They're, they're three and nine after the bye since I think it's twenty eleven. Uh, one and six after the last seven bye weeks. Edmonton uh, has won four out of their last five. The TyCats have lost four out of their last five. Um, it is at Tim Hortons Field where the Cats have won six out of their last 22 or three out of their last 17. It, I mean, the, the numbers really do not point to a Ticats victory tonight. But these are the kind of games that they ended up winning. Yes. You know, it, similar to week two when uh, I don't think anybody predicted they would beat Edmonton. I mean, they shellacked them 38-21 uh, in a game in which they pretty much dominated from start to finish. Um, I, I, I kind of have a good vibe with the Ticats tonight, although <laughs> whenever I think that, it goes the other way. So who knows?
1: It is so antithetical, though, that a team coming off the bye week consistently is so bad. It should, uh, M- Mike O'Shea and Chris Jones and those coaches, there seem, they seem to always find something in the bye week that they surprise the other team and come out and play well. The tie Cats do the opposite. I, I I don't get it. It's such an antithetical position to have.
2: It's unbelievable. And, and, you know, Calgary just had their, I think it was a 17 game off the bye winning streak snapped uh, uh, versus the the Rough Riders. And, you know, to think, you know, that's an impressive streak, number one. But to think of a team, you know, coming off the bye, having really, uh, as far as the coaching staff is concerned, because they never take a bye week. You know, two weeks to prepare for your next opponent. So you're studying their film. You're studying their tendencies. You're looking at what they do well, what they don't do well, how you can exploit them on offense and defense and special teams. And you come up with a game plan that, in Calgary's case, more often than not, it proved to be victorious. Now, obviously, you know, there's a difference in talent uh, level between the Stamps and most other teams in the CFL. But still, you should have a little bit of an advantage coming off the bye. Your, your, your players are fresh. Uh, I, I think they should be hungry to get back on the field and win, especially in the cats case, because they lost before the bye week against, you know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This should be a hungrier team, but we've seen time and time again, and I'm not sure what the reason is. We can't point to coaching. We can't point to the players because they're they're the same kind of guys. Uh, and maybe it's the process. Maybe it's the approach that they take to coming off the bye. Maybe they're too lax. Maybe they're too relaxed. I'm not sure, but, uh, you
0: know, uh, it's,
2: uh, CFL teams, NFL teams coming up to buy usually play better after
1: that bye week. The Cats have to watch that episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza discovers that you've got to ha- do the opposite of every instinct you have. If instead of salmon on white, it's tuna on brown. You got to, whatever they would do going into a bye week, do the opposite to see what would happen if that would work.
2: Uh, I-, I wonder if they try that, what they would do. They would run the ball 40 times and pass
1: it 10. <laughs> <laughs> they would wear the wrong color uniform, different color exactly. uniform than they always wear. Yeah. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what else you do. I don't know what the opposite would be. They would, would, be-
2: would throw left-handed. Uh, guys on offense would play defense and vice versa i mean there's your recipe right there
1: okay i wasn't actually thinking of going that far i meant more in the prep but you know what we let's take it right to the nth degree here's the thing steve milton who writes for the spec everybody knows steve steve wrote a piece the other day and i i think when we look at this game we look at this team the ticats to me they're what three and five now yes they are in my mind vastly more talented than a 3 and 5 team particularly in the eastern conference where you know they should be vastly ahead of this as far as i'm concerned they are a way better team personnel wise than they are showing steve wrote the piece that said the Ticats cats have become just good enough to lose by just a little bit now they're not getting blown out they're always seeming to be in the game until the end, but just finding a way to lose. And I think he's right. I think they are maybe not that great a team, but they're good enough to make you think they're in every single game, and then often lead to disappointment.
2: I, I think you know the the first part of that statement is um, you know as a football team where you want to be. You always want to be in the game. You don't want to get blown out, obviously. This team, uh, I don't think, is capable of blowing teams out, at least on a week-to-week basis. You know, one week here, one week there. Yeah, we we could probably see that because they have that talent. But I think they are good enough to be in every game. But as we've seen this year, and as we've certainly seen in past years, this team finds ways to lose or finds ways to... Not capitalize on their opportunities, and, and this season it's been either in the red zone or just scoring touchdowns in general. They should have a lot more TDs. They should have a lot more points produced offensively than they do. You know, they've they've uh, forced a lot of turnovers, but they haven't capitalized on those opportunities in terms of points, uh, say from a couple of weeks ago. But uh, th- this team, I think, has enough talent to be able to win each and every game. And I think as a team, you want to be in that position. That's a great kind of feeling to have week in and week out, knowing that any given weekday or weekend, you can go into a game and, and grab two points. I think if they start to do that consistently, obviously that will translate into a winning streak and that will translate into a playoff position. But you know, you look at the Argos who are also three and five, and I would stack up the tie cats against the Argos man for man. I, I think Hamilton has a better team on paper, but Again, that doesn't win you ballgames. You still have to go out there and execute. And right now, for whatever reason, there comes a point in the football game where something happens, and that usually is uh, something bad, and it translates into a loss.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right about the Argos. I mean, if you look at the CFL standings on the CFL website right now, and I don't know why they have it in this position. They have the the Ticats below the Argos in the standings. They've got the same number of points, same wins, same loss, everything. Yeah. It's just, But regardless of that, they're not really in third place, but they shouldn't even be in the spot where potentially you could be flipping and flopping with the Argos. They should be with their talent. They should be comfortably up with Ottawa beyond probably Ottawa. I mean, they really should. I, I just it, It's it's a, it's a thing to me that I can't get my head around how this team can't be winning more games to this point. There's still a lot of season left. They could, yeah. but yeah. boy, it seems it's just, and I'm sure your callers on fifth quarter regularly, it's a frustration that this team can't seem, it spins its tires more than getting a lot of traction.
2: Well, tonight is the midway point of the year. I mean, this this is game number nine on the schedule. If the Ticats win, you know, four and five at the midway point, that's that, that's okay. Uh, obviously, it's much better than last year's, uh, you know, one and eight. Uh, but they, they should be better than what they've shown so far. Uh, I'll, I'll take a four and five, but it certainly uh, does not look well if this team goes in a Labor Day three and six. Uh, the Argos, I believe, play Montreal this week, and they could be four and five. So... And the only reason why Toronto's ahead of Hamilton in the standings is they have a better division record. I think Toronto's one one, Hamilton's or Toronto's one zero, Hamilton's one and one. So you know, I think going into Labor Day, if this team is three and six. I would kind of look at that and say, yeah, you know, uh, status quo. This team is uh, usually under 500 come Labor Day, and even if they are four and five, they're still under 500. But you just have a better feeling going into the biggest game of the year. Just one game under 500, as opposed to three. So uh, they got to pull up their socks and and come out firing tonight.
1: I forgot until you just mentioned it. This was the spot last year that June Jones arrived.
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh. No. Yeah. His 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 first game. I believe his first game was Labor Day because they were 0 and eight, and then they had the bye week. Yeah, I think he, he had one. I think nine.
1: did he not have one before Labor Day? I think. I think he had one before. But nonetheless, maybe it was, yeah. this is maybe not to the day on the calendar, but this is right. really the one year anniversary of June Jones. Arrival as the Ty Cats head coach. Mm-mm. Interesting. Uh, just before I let you go, because I, I, I we have to move on, and I got to give you time to watch the game that are about to kick off. But Joe Montford is being honored at halftime, going up on the Wall of Honor. We had Joe on the show earlier this week. It's a question that I've been wondering about. I didn't ask him because I don't think it's really a question for him to answer, but. When he was here as a rush end, as a defensive end, he was a dominant player. He had Calvin Tiggle on the defense at that time, uh, Tim Cheatwood. Before that, it was Grover Covington as the dominant guy off the edge. Before that, it was Angelo Mosca. Why has it been so hard for the Hamilton Ticats to find that guy, that linchpin of the defense in the last number of years that sort of followed after Joe Monfort?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the closest to it Tim Sheetwood would have been a Justin Hickman, although his tenure wasn't as long as some of the other guys that you mentioned, and, and probably not as illustrious either. Uh, I think across the league, you can look at guys like Charleston Hughes. Uh, you know, Odell Ellis certainly comes to mind. Brent Johnson with the BC Alliance a few years ago certainly. Cam Wake, who you know had really a cup of uh, you know a cup of coffee in the CFL before really uh, starting his stuff in the NFL with the Dolphins. Uh, there aren't a lot of those guys in the league anymore. Those dominant, you know, future Hall of Fame defensive ends. There's really a handful or three or four really in the league. I think the Ticats really hit the jackpots uh, with all of those guys in terms of whether they draft them or acquire them uh, through free agency down the, down in the States. Uh, it's just, uh, I think, a cyclical thing. I think that guy will come. I'm not sure he's on the roster right now. Adrian Tracy, and know, shown a lot of promise, but, He's got to be healthy and a lot more productive. Obviously, um, but guys like Joe Lunford only come once in a generation, at least for, for the Ty Cats. Uh, you know, phenomenal player, outstanding guy off the field as well. There's no doubt about that. Um, hopefully, there's one soon on the way. But uh, for the Ty Cats, uh, you know, that last guy was probably Cheatwood and then Hickman. But it's been a long time uh, since.
1: As I let you go, who is the guy if there is one? Who is the guy on the Ty roster right now? who will someday be up on the Wall of Honor joining Joe Montford?
2: Oh, wow. Uh, if he spends another 10 years here and is as productive as he has been in past years, I can see a guy like Luke Tasker being up on that wall. Uh, championships will have to come as well. The other guy who's probably as close to Tasker to be on that wall is Simone Lawrence. But again, uh, statistically, he's had a phenomenal tie cat career, but... They got to win at least one trophy, at least one great cup for any of these guys to be considered, you know, wall of honor kind of candidates.
1: I was, picking, I was thinking Luke Tasker as well. I hadn't thought of Simone, but you're right. But you're right as well. Uh, absolutely. Gray Cups have to be a part of it, or else mm-hmm. it, it is irrelevant. Uh, Rick Zamper will be on the fifth quarter after the game. 10.30, give or take, today. Uh, you can call in. You can talk about the tie catch. You can talk about this. You can talk about anything we talked about. You can talk about TD celebrations. Hopefully there's a few tonight uh, for either team. I just want to see them. You'll do that tonight. Rick, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. You got it. Anytime. That is uh, Rick Zamper. You know him from, well, from right here on 900CHML.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The
1: guy who had run for the leadership of the conservatives not that long ago, Maxime Bernier, decided today that he was going to leave the party in a scorched earth flame bomb onto the party, whatever, saying, you know what, they this party is morally corrupt and ethically corrupt and intellectually corrupt and I'm going to go off and start my own party. Well, Raises a whole lot of questions about a whole lot of things, and when we have questions about federal politics or big political issues, we know exactly who we call. That would be longtime Toronto Star columnist, political columnist Tim Harper, who joins us now. Tim, thanks for doing this today. Pleasure,
0: Scott. How you doing? Uh,
1: well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm doing fine. I'm wondering how the Conservatives are doing because I'm looking at this today, saying. There's two ways you could pitch this as a good news or a bad news story, but we're going to start with the bad news because I think that's the way I'm leaning certainly harder in this case. Because when an MP who has a reasonably big name in the party decides he's going to go out this way, uh, it, cert- it, doesn't, it doesn't offer a good look to the party.
0: It doesn't. So uh, I'm with you, by the way. There is bad news and good news in this for the conservatives, but I've also tilt towards the bad Uh, And here's the bad, is that I don't believe Maxime Bernier is uh, Kelly Leach in a finally cut suit. I think he's going to be more than a footnote. Uh, He does have a base. He does have um, some views that will be attractive to conservatives. He does have um, proven fundraising prowess. And he doesn't have to do much uh, with this new party he uh, says he's going to uh, create. Uh, he doesn't have to do much to create a lot of woe for Andrew Shear and the conservatives in two thousand and nineteen because if he uh picks away a couple of points here or five points there um in uh, certain select ridings off the um conservative uh vote for shears candidate, you don't have a classically split right like we we saw uh in the past but um you have enough of a split right that it's going to create a lot of grief uh, for the Conservatives. Yeah, that's
1: not a lot. And, I mean, five makes, five or no. six points is not a lot.
0: No, and he, he's likely capable of doing that because he does have a following. He does have a constituency. Now, I'm not predicting or suggesting that he's going to take anybody from the existing caucus, but there will be Conservatives or Libertarians or disaffected whatever out there. We're going to find um, a little bit of room to... Um, uh, find a, a home with Maxime Bernier, um, who does talk about things like poll-driven, focus-driven politicians who uh, give up on ideas and principles and, and want to see which way the wind blows, uh, who believes that the, the Conservative Party has just become a more moderate uh, uh, Liberal Party, that, the, the, that it's sold out true Conservative values that he will now uh, purport to uh, champion across the country, um, there's a lot of conservatives who agree with him on supply management, uh, that is, um, you know, become, ra- the dairy industry has become rather coddled and is an impediment to a NAFTA deal. Uh, but the frightening thing for me, I believe Scott is that his, um, views on, uh, multiculturalism, extreme multiculturalism and too much diversity, uh, I think we're going to have a debate uh, central to the 2019 campaign over immigration and refugee policy, and it's hard for me to believe that um, uh, Bernier's backers, and regardless of how the leader of this new party tries to couch it, it it's a it's a, an open door uh, for a more intolerance. Mm.
1: And, you know, we talked about this on the show earlier this week. What What is really interesting about the interesting, I don't know if that's the right word, but Somehow we've conflated the two words, immigration and multiculturalism. They're two very different things. And yet somehow they seem to now be becoming one thing. One is how people are getting here. One is what you do once you get here. And I don't think there's too many people that argue that once you're in Canada, you should be allowed to live how you wish to live. We can certainly have questions, I think, about who we're letting in or how we're screening people or those kind of things, but they're not, those two things are not synonymous.
0: No, and we're also conflating immigrants and uh refugees asylum. a hundred percent um and this is what's getting messed up in this debate and um you know uh Maxime Bernier has spoken in the past about immigration targets um uh, uh and has uh, hitched his wagon in the past to the need for um uh economic uh immigrants but uh, his series of tweets that received so much publicity over the last couple of weeks sounded uh much more like a dog whistle to intolerance to me. Uh, and to many other uh, Canadians, I believe, and I, and I think that's where the danger lies. When you're talking about um, you know too much diversity, and uh, and uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but no, but the, you're
1: the, the turning
0: you're... us into a, a, a different tribal um, uh, groups. Um, I don't think that's going to bring uh, the, the kind of rational, um, facts based debate that we may need on immigration and. You know, I I think we're going to get a lot of virtue signaling from uh, Trudeau in the center, left and left, and we're going to get uh, more fear-mongering from the right. And, you know, I I, I would would have hoped for a uh, a much more adult and rational debate about immigration, but I I just have a sinking feeling that uh, Bernier is going to uh, uh, push this into areas that are are going to be very uncomfortable for a lot of mainstream Canadians like you and me.
1: We don't know how big the draw will be from Maxine Bernier. But the issue is, even if he were to take 5% of the people who would be voting Conservative next election, that may be the margin for many ridings. Has he essentially today, assuming he doesn't do a completely unexpected change of course and go back somehow in a week when he changes his mind, assuming this continues, has he given the next election to Justin Trudeau?
0: Well, you know, Scott, there is uh, a lot of... uh tweets from um conservatives frankly that uh, today we were saying the liberals who are out on a, a cabinet retreat in bc should be popping the champagne i think that's a little premature um i i can assure you that the liberals will take nothing for granted but um you know right now from where we're sitting that yeah i think they've made it uh, easier for the liberals and i would argue that you know canadian voters lose in this um in this scenario if we we uh Saw in very recent history, uh, Jean Chrétien uh, being able to uh, win uh, majorities uh, based uh, in no small part on a on a, on a uh, split right. Um, I, this Trudeau government, in my view, should be tested uh, and should be given a stiff challenge, at least by a, a united party on the right. And uh, uh, we may not be getting that. And and you know if if elections are won uh, with uh, smaller percentages because one uh, side of the political spectrum is, is squabbling or split. Um, I'm not sure you get the best government because uh, the, the government that wins um, is almost winning by default in some cases, in some ridings. So, um, you know, it's too early to say that the liberals are going to uh, have a cakewalk because of this. But there's no question uh, that there must be some smiles on the faces of senior liberals today. We, it', it was Christmas morning again out there because uh they, they didn't do anything today and they've been handed, they've been handed this gift um,
1: and, and they haven't had a great summer i mean it's not like they're riding a huge wave of momentum
0: no uh and, and this is the uh this would be the hard uh, part to swallow if you're a conservative a uh, died in the wall sheer conservative under sheer uh, this party has been uh, outpacing the liberals on fundraising and they've stayed with the Trudeau liberals on uh, uh, polling. Uh, the party, sheer runs behind Trudeau, but uh, party polling, that they're running almost even with the Liberals in most polls. And we're, you know, we're one year out from an election. So they, they're more than holding their own. Um, they've driven the uh, the immigration question. They are going to uh, get what they want, I believe, uh, an election of 2019 where the carbon tax uh, is uh, central. Um, so they've actually been pre- performing well under sheer. So you know, at the top when we said the the bad and the good, there is a possibility that this could create a um, a rallying around sheer, uh, particularly the, the the way that uh, Bernier did this, um, which was, I mean, I've never seen anything like. Because you you talked about a scorched earth policy, um, you know, the, the way he tried to shake down his former party and the leader today was was just audacious. It was it was something to behold. So that would create a lot of anger in the party. And the other thing that you know helped Shear a little bit, he's been on the defensive uh with uh Bernier for uh, what seems like weeks now. well, you know there were there were members of that caucus who thought that the the way to deal with Maxime Bernier was to try to bring him in a little closer, but you know what I gotta tell you they it's probably good for Andrew Shear now that he doesn't have to deal with Maxime Bernier, well,
1: uh, yeah, you get rid of a big I headache. Can. You get rid yep. of a big headache. And there, there were people, and you may have been one of them, Tim, who was saying that that issue earlier this week where uh, Prime Minister Trudeau went off or you know challenged that uh, person at the rally where he called her a racist and hateful, there were people who said that that was specifically to make some ground, to put some ground between the Conservatives with Bernier and the immigration-slash-multicultural thing and the Liberals. Well, if you take Bernier out of the party maybe Justin Trudeau loses some of that sting that he can throw out there about the racist stuff.
0: That's right. Uh, it, it, and, and it'll give ch- it'll give it a chance to Shear to rally his party. I think Shear has some discipline, some message discipline to work with, with that caucus besides sheer, but at least he doesn't have somebody, uh, you know, firing at him from inside the tent. And, uh, uh, he can um, he can wish uh, Maxime Bernier the, the, the best out there and not have to deal with <laughs> him again. Um, although I don't think Sheer's argument today that Maxime Bernier's uh, decision is helping Justin Trudeau, I, I, I'm not sure that was the greatest talking point, to be honest with you, because yeah. if he's helping Justin Trudeau, that's an admission that he's hurting you, even though he tried to deny that when he was asked pointedly. So, And the other thing Sheer did today that I thought was puzzling, he's out there, he's got his entire caucus out at the convention, If you wanted to show a united front uh, against uh, uh, the Rebel who's in Ottawa uh, dumping all over you, you would have thought he would have had his caucus behind him at at this um, Mm. press availability he did. But he came out on his own, very low-key. I thought he could have been more aggressive and shown more unity. But, you know, he got very quick support from Stephen Harper and Doug Ford, uh, Jason Kenney. So, you know, there could be a rallying effect. But... uh, that won't uh, that won't deter uh, Maxime Bernier I can guarantee you that
1: we have 15 seconds uh, there were people who were putting out there the theory that because uh, Bernier lost the leadership campaign to Shear that since that day about a year ago this has been an attempt to sabotage him it, it, should we go down that kind of conspiracy path is that too extreme or is that plausible we got 10 seconds
0: uh, in 10 seconds just look at the evidence does, there is every indication that Maxime Bernier is a man who never accepted defeat and uh, never accepted Andrew Shearer as the party leader.
1: Tim Harper, always appreciate having you on. Always good to hear from you. Thanks for doing this today.
0: I appreciate you calling, Scott.
1: It's uh, it's a really interesting one. We, I mean, we've seen this before. Don't forget. We've seen this before. We've seen Preston Manning start the reform party once upon a time. We saw Lucien Bouchard leave Brian Mulroney. We've only ever seen, I think that I can recall, we've only ever seen this from the conservative side. And I was trying to figure out why that is, why it's only conservatives who have split off. And the only thing I can think of is that because there are other liberal, small L liberal parties, if you don't like what's going on with the liberals, you go to the NDP, you go to the green. There has only generally been one conservative party. I don't know there's another good explanation for that. We'll see how much impact this has, though. Tim is right. In the past, it has led to Jean Chrétien having majorities because of a divided conservatives. We'll see if that has the same impact here.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: Oftentimes at about 650, we like to tell you about really, really, really stupid criminals or stupid people or people who do stupid things. They don't have to be stupid people, but sometimes even bright people do really stupid things. Well, let us tell you about a 72 year old guy in Thatcher, Arizona. Now, do you know what the premise of the movie Footloose is? Let me bring Will in on this one, because I think he probably will. Oh, yeah. You remember what the premise of Footloose is?
0: Uh, It was a
2: small town, based on a real small town, actually, that had banned dancing within uh, the town limits. You were not allowed to dance, along with other rules.
1: So, yes, so that is the general outline. Well, that brings us to today's story, which is not exactly the same, but there are certainly similarities enough. Because the, um, the small Arizona town of Thatcher, and I don't know how big it is, but I tried to find it on the map. It's a very small little town. It is not a big, big place. It's in the southeastern Arizona. They were having a, they were having a high school dance there the other day. And, um, well, this gentleman in Thatcher was not thrilled with the high school dance. It was 11.45 p.m., and I guess the noise was still going. It's it's in the summertime. Maybe it was outdoors. It's unclear, but I'm assuming that it was outdoors. Let's go with outdoors because it makes more sense for this story. I'm assuming if it's in the gym, why would he be hearing the music? So anyway, they're having this outdoors high school dance in the summertime. Everyone's having a good old time except for the 72-year-old guy who lives nearby who by 11.45 p.m. was thoroughly fed up with the music. I'm making another assumption. It was probably Drake, which would make everybody fed up with it. But anyway, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Poor Drake. If it was Drake, listen, all the neighbors would have gathered with pitchforks and torches and said, enough! Stop the music! But maybe it's other people than Drake. Anyway, our 72-year-old hero of the story, by quarter to 12, had grown thoroughly disgusted, thoroughly tired, thoroughly fed up, did not want any more music. So what do you think he did to make his point heard. Well, there are logical, reasonable, practical, common sense things. He could have maybe gone to the, surely there was some kind of chaperone, a teacher or someone.
0: Yeah.
2: Called the cops, maybe. Maybe,
1: but he could have gone to one of the adults at the high school and said, hmm, listen, are, are we, are we wrapping up soon? Is, is there a 12 o'clock curfew deadline as the music shutting down. I'm trying to get a little bit of sleep. I got to be up early. You know, I'm 72. I wake up at four to go pee I, and I don't get back to sleep afterwards. You know, what's the deal here? And probably if you're a decent neighbor, I'm guessing in all likelihood, a teacher or someone would have said, yeah, don't worry about it. We've, we've got 15 minutes left. Um, this song is going to finish. Then we've got Stairway to Heaven and then, <laughs> which is the song that every high school yeah. dance, when I was in high school, finished with that was totally confusing because it starts slow. So it's a slow dance and then all of a sudden it's going really fast and you no longer know what you're supposed to do (laughs) or how you're supposed to dance. Is it still a slow dance or am I now dancing fast or what do I do? Anyway, stairway to heaven's coming on. Then we're going to wrap it up and everyone's going home. He didn't do that. He was way too angry to simply go and talk to the chaperone and ask, what are we doing with the dance here? Did he TP the school? No, that would have been even better than what he did. See, showing up with a couple rolls of toilet paper and just throwing it at the school, I'm not encouraging it, but that at least would have made his point (laughs) and been better than what he did. Um, This guy, Robert Layton, showed up, complained about the loud music... But complaining about the loud music was not sufficient. Once he had complained to somebody about the loud music, he followed up his complaint by whipping a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun out of his pocket and started waving it around, threatening anybody who didn't turn the music off right now. Uh, yeah. how do you think? How do you think this plays in modern? america when school shootings are not an uncommon thing and a guy now shows up at a high school with a nine millimeter handgun and threatens everybody if they don't shut down the music how do you think this plays uh not well is the answer yeah not not well
2: appropriately terrible for him
1: uh thankfully you know luckily for him a dj who was working at the dance, took matters into his own hands, wrestled him to the ground and disarmed him, (laughs) which was the best possible option for this guy because if he had waited till the SWAT team showed up, chances are he is going to have a lot of air conditioning in his body, as in bullet holes right through him.
2: Well, I would hope not that either, but
1: Well, but you know what could happen. You're at a school with a handgun waving it around.
2: He should not have done
1: that. There is a chance that things could go horribly wrong. Anyway, the DJ, saved the day, wrestled him to the ground, disarmed him, and and what made the DJ the real hero is he promised never to play Drake again. Actually, he didn't promise the last part, but that would have been a great ending to the story. Anyway, uh, he is now undergoing psychiatric evaluation at the hospital before being booked for jail.
2: That makes sense. If
1: you're going to go and do a footloose John Lithgow anti-dancing thing, leave your firearms at home is the moral of this story. Just Make a fuss, TP it, throw some eggs, scream at them. Don't bring a nine millimeter to school.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.